Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. If you're joining us online, and if this is your first time to visit us here at this venue at our church, we want to say a big welcome to you. And to let you know that we are uh, continuing in our teaching time uh, in our services, dealing with the issue of how to love uh, in a way that, that God expects us to love. Uh, how, to, how to love uh, Jesus style, how to be the kind of people that God wants us to be in our families and community. So we've been dealing this, uh, looking at the ways of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus to help us to be a more, uh, to, be, to love like he would expect us to love. We're looking today at Matthew 5, Matthew 5, 33 through 37. I want to read this to you. Uh, this is a section, a very specific, practical way that Jesus said, this is how we need to love. Here we go. You have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne, and do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head. It's very important for me. For you can turn one, you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say simply, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Other translations would translate this. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. You've probably heard this before, raised up maybe by your parents and by others. I have... I have this memory uh, in my teenage days of going to visit a friend that was on the other side of town. I grew up in Accra, Ghana, and uh, on this side of Accra, there was one movie theater we loved to go to, and my friend lived right next to this theater, and so I went to visit my friend. The goal was we were going to hang out that day, and then we were going to be picked up by my parents uh, late that evening uh, to finish the day off. In my family, we were told very clearly that whatever we did, didn't matter what we did so much as that we told our parents what we were doing. I don't know if you were raised that way, but my parents wanted to know. And um, they claim to this day it's because they loved me. They wanted to know what I was up to. And so I went to visit my friend but did not tell my parents uh, because we decided late in the game that we were going to walk from his house to the theater and, uh, and then get back in time, just in time, so that my parents could pick me up uh, from my friend's house. So we uh, put on our cologne and we walked down to the theater. And uh, guess who was at the theater at the same time? My parents. My parents were there. My dad saw me. We saw each other across the mezzanine and it was like, you know, I, I wanted to go hide somewhere. I was scared to death. And my father came over to me. And he was, had a look on his face, that look that I know so well of, you are going to die. No. <laughs> that actually wasn't his look. He was actually going to be very nice to me. I just didn't realize it at the time. So when he came up to me and asked me, what's going on? We're, you know, what are you doing? I didn't know what to say. My words fumbled. And I sounded like I was hiding some amazing lie because I couldn't speak properly. My dad stopped me in, in mid-sentence and said, Brian, I'll never forget this. It stayed with me, obviously, clearly to this day. Brian, 
don't hesitate with me. So I said, okay, whatever comes, I may die, but here we go. Here's the truth. So I told him everything, just clearly. And he looked at me and he said, well, great, no problem at all. Um, we'll, we'll take you from here, from the theater. I'll take your friend back home and I'll take you home. I was in shock, but it, it stayed with me because I realized that what my dad wanted most from his son was an honest answer. He just wanted me to tell him exactly what I was thinking and how I was feeling instead of trying to hide something, to be deceitful. I have a great dad. My, my dad was fine with us being at the theater. I mean, he was there too. He just wanted me to be honest. We, we love honest people, right? You've heard it say, say what you mean and mean what you say. Have you heard that one before? That's kind of a southern tradition in the southern part of the United States. This is things that uh, country folk love to say. Say what you mean, mean what you say. In our, in our context today, let your yes be yes and your no be no. All of us want to be friends with honest and trustworthy people, right? I, I love, my, my, my favorite friends in the world are people who what you see is what you get. They just tell you like it is. This is where I am today. This is how I feel and I can count on those friends always being honest with me. I love to be around those people. But we, we also want to be honest and trustworthy people. We wish we could be those people. The context of this verse, let me read just the first part of it for you again. You've also heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you made to the Lord. But I say do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by earth because it is earth's footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. In my case, you can't keep one connected. Just say simply, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. What is Jesus referring to? He's referring to this culture and history of people in his tradition keeping their promises no matter what the consequences was. So these are not promises and consequences. These are not promises and vows that people are making because God asked them to. These are promises that they made themselves, motivated by their desire to make some commitment to God or to something else, to show people that their word could be counted on. We see these kinds of stories throughout Scripture. Uh, and, and probably if you are a, a, a faithful reader of God's word, you have seen these stories and you've probably scratched your head and wondered, what were they thinking? Judges chapter 11 tells the story of Jephthah, who was given this amazing victory from God, conquering his enemies. But before he went into battle, he made a vow to the Lord. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that he was asked by God to make a vow to the Lord. He said, he made this vow to the Lord. He said, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice, sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Judges 11 goes on to tell us that when he came home victorious from his battle, the first person he saw was his daughter. That's who came out of the door first. The writer continues to tell us that he was distraught because he realized now he was going to have to kill his daughter. So he tore his clothes and he was, said, I've done a horrible thing. This is terrible, but I can't take it back. They were so committed to his vow, so determined to, to, to keep his promises that he told his daughter, this is what's going to happen. His daughter asked, will you give me some time just to think about this before you kill me? These are the, these, this is in the Bible, Judges 11. 
she goes off, hangs out with her friends for a while, and then comes back, and her father sacrifices her because of his vow. Now, there, there's no indication in Scripture that what he did was from God. The indication is 100% completely that he made a promise that he was determined to keep, even if it was illogical and goofy and horrible, disastrous, lost his daughter. You see this? Keep going, right? Uh, you've heard of John the Baptist? At some point, because of a promise of, of a king, right? John's head ended up on a silver platter. And he was distraught, but he was determined to keep his promise. And you see this, this tradition of making vows that are ridiculous, illogical vows. And this is what Jesus is saying here. Stop doing that. Make only those commitments that you have control over. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. We see Pilate. Pilate who has Jesus standing in front of him. What does Pilate do? Pilate takes zero responsibility and says, I wash my hands of you. Whereas he could have intervened, right? But he chose not to. The fact of the matter is, is that often we shift our integrity. We shift the responsibility of our commitments, our integrity, away from ourselves to another person. We act like we have no control of our decisions. In essence, we behave like victims because we, we make these vows, and at the same time, we take no responsibility for our vows. Jesus says, you have no control over God. So don't make a promise for God or to God that you are completely incapable of keeping. You have no control over heaven. So to say, I'll do this by heaven is ridiculous because you have no control over heaven. He says, you have no control over Jerusalem. You have no control over this earth. So quit making promises that are dependent on inanimate or other objects that you have no control over. You have no control over the city. You have no control over the laws of nature. And most of us, when we think about making decisions and choices and promises, we're pretty sure we have no control over all those issues. But we also believe we have no control over our own actions. And very often we make decisions but take absolutely no responsibility for our decisions and our choices. We become incompetent, unreliable people because we're not really sure what we have control over and what we don't. It's a very interesting thing, but make no mistake. This kind of untrustworthiness, this inability to count on people, uh, is, is endemic in society. It's, it's, it's disastrous in societies. Unreliable people uh, really make the world a difficult place to live in. Now, I sound like a German this morning. Must be on time. That's, but actually, uh, this, this inability to count on people uh, cost our world, uh, financially it cost our world in so, so many different ways. Whether it's a father who doesn't stay faithful to his children or faithful to his wife, children bear the brunt of this unfaithfulness, this lack of commitment, untrust, untrustworthiness. In the United States, uh, there was a survey done 
and on the cost of people being late to work, just being late to work. It cost $480 per head each year. So $14 billion in the economy is lost because people are late by two to three minutes every day. That's interesting, isn't it? You think, ah, it's okay. No, no, no. It, when everyone is late, two or three, two or three minutes, it, it costs. It adds up. There's a huge, huge cost. I want to show you this interesting graph that is uh, done by a leadership uh, trainer, a teacher by the name of Simon, Simon Sinek. Uh, you may know him from his book, Leaders Eat Last. It's a great book. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to buy it and read it. It's an amazing deal about how to lead, how to lead well. Um, he does this amazing graph, very simple to see, this first graph here, uh, contrasting trust versus performance. Now, obviously, on this far side here of performance, uh, we know what that means. If we're evaluating someone, we say, are they performance? Are they, do they have a high capacity? Are they able to, to make as much money as possible by the end of this month? So we evaluate them on the performance. They're hard workers. They make a lot of money. They're skilled. And then this graph over here of trust we know what that means too, right? Now, trust, I'm not talking about just any kind of trust. We're talking about the kind of trust. Can we trust this person with our wife and our money? All right? We're talking about true trust, big-time trust. Would you trust them to, 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 to take care of your children? So if you're looking for someone to work with, to partner with you on a team, uh, the next graph shows, obviously, we don't want this guy, right? Uh, this guy on the very corner here. Uh, low trust, low performance. So that guy's... Some people might even call him a loser. All right? We don't want to be around someone we can't trust and has no capacity. Those guys are not the kind of person you want to hire on your team. But this next person, of course, is the person everybody wants on their team, right? This guy over here, high performer, high trust, that kind of a person. We long for those people on our teams. They perform well, and we can trust them. We can count on when they say yes, they mean yes. When they say no, they mean no. Many of us know this other person over here, right? High performer, but you can't trust them as far as you can throw them. Do you know these people? All of us can know this person at work. If you work in any, <laughs> and you have names for them probably, right? You appreciate all the stuff that they do uh, for the company, but at the same time, they're toxic, right? That favorite word of ours. Uh, they become terrible leaders. They're the kind of people you don't want to be around. And ultimately, um, you can't rely on them. In, in, in research of, of big companies, uh, successful companies, this is what these successful company leaders say. They would prefer to have, the next slide, they would prefer to have either a, a, um, a medium performer or even a low performer, hey, next slide, uh, this guy here. They prefer to have this guy or the next guy, the low performer or the mid performer that they trust completely than this guy up here. High performer, low trust. The idea is that they would much rather have and invite to their team someone that they trust that whose skills could actually grow in time. Their capacity could be improved because they're interested in learning from you. They're interested in, in learning from the organization. They're teachable and they're loyal and, and their skill set can increase and improve. We know this. This is a no-brainer for most of us. We understand this. We want to be around people that we trust. Successful companies, successful, by the way, successful churches function with reliable people. Families function with reliable people. When we consider 
this in our own lives? Does our yes mean yes? Does our no mean no? What does it look like for you and for, and for me? Very often we suffer from what's called the victim problem, where we never, ever take personal responsibility for any of our actions, for any of our thoughts. It's, it's very possible that we're like that because we have been the recipient of different types of abuse or we have been victims. Uh, we've never been in sort of a normal environment uh, as we were raised up, and so we continue never to feel like we have power to choose. We have power uh, to, to say yes and mean it and to be able to follow through. It's because we've been the, the recipients, we've been the victims of, of so much abuse or, or different types of violence or different types of control that has left us in a state where we don't really feel like we have any power whatsoever to make decisions. It's very possible that uh, many of us sitting here this morning feel this way, that potentially if you think about your life, you think you are powerless. And, and maybe never in your life have you ever realized that God has given you a certain degree of ability, power, to make choices and to stick to it and to live it out. I sat down with, um, I put this in quotation marks, a friend several years ago who was being, um, he had been arrested for check fraud. He had written checks and fraudulent checks and um, he was out on bail and so we had coffee together. Um, yes, I do hang out with thieves. Um, so we're having coffee together, and this is a guy who had been in my home. I had known him for several years, and uh, he wanted to have coffee with me to assure me that he actually was not uh, guilty of check fraud. And this is what he said to me. He said, he said please, Brian, um, you know, l l look at this for yourself. You know, prove you can. You can just go see for yourself I, that I am not. Uh, I don't write uh, fraudulent checks. And I sit there talking to him, realizing that <clears throat> it, it would be impossible for me to verify what he was saying was true, and he knew that. His whole argument was, "No, really, I don't write fraudulent checks. Just check check for yourself," knowing that there's no way that I could ever, ever check up on him and prove what he was saying was actually true. This guy lived his whole life conning people. He ended up in prison ultimately because he was actually a con man. We live our lives very often never taking personal responsibility for our decisions. And for whatever reason, uh, this kind of behavior uh, for, for many is unknown why people make these decisions but at the same time this kind of behavior is disastrous because the fact is is that God has given us a degree of power to be able to make decisions and to stick to it his expectation is is that we do have power we have control over what we say and we have control over our actions especially when God has given us to do something in the context of God's will for our lives God empowers us to be able to follow through with that. He fills us with his strength to be able to live this out. And so our yes can be yes and our no can be no. It's possible we are just unaware of our strengths and we're unaware of our limitations. Most of us in our life at different points have either overcommitted or we've undercommitted. Overcommitted. Yes, I'll do it. I will book my life uh, 
way beyond what is even humanly possible to do. Now, I used to do this when I was in university. Uh, I would decide that for the week prior to final exams during the year, I would stay up every night for a week and study for my exams. By the way, that is humanly impossible to do successfully. Um, I don't know if you've done that in your life and trying to get ready for exams, but ultimately you will die. The body has limitations. You cannot push yourself beyond what your body is able to do. One of the best things we can do as followers of Christ is to understand what those limitations are. Understand what our human limitations are. There's so many books out there that are written about this. Uh, one of the best books that I've ever written, uh, read, not, not written, uh, someday, maybe I'll write a book, is the book called Overload Syndrome. Uh, it's written by a doctor who prescribes that you book your life only 80% of what you're capable of doing, and then you have 20% of your life. It's called margin, 20% of your life. In case something goes wrong, you have margin. You have room to actually fix the things um, that you planned in the 80% of your life that didn't go well. This morning when I was leaving our house, uh, we had this electronic gate. I pushed the gate, and it opened, and, uh, and then it wouldn't close. It kept trying to close and then opening itself, trying to close and opening itself. And I was going, I don't have time for this. We left our house later than we usually do this morning. And so I barely got to church in time this morning uh, to get things done. We were able to get the gate closed and whatever, but we didn't plan for margin this morning, and it cost us. Little tip, learn where your limitations are, and then book your life up to 80%, not 100%. Uh, there's, uh, and, and obviously, don't book your life uh, to 150%. You will never be successful at that. Now, if you do overbook your life, so you make commitments that book 150% of your life, then understand that, first of all, you will not be successful. But when you are not successful, don't blame anyone else but yourself. Because that's your fault. No one else's. That's your fault. Because you overbooked your life. I know I'm talking to people here who actually might have multiple jobs just so you can survive. This is the world we live in where we're trying to, to, to eat. And so we're, we're taking jobs and we're making commitments that are pushing us way beyond our ability to function. I think God understands that as well, and God will give you the strength that you need in those moments. But you will never be able to do beyond your limitations. Impossible. I will invite you, though, to think about this. Possibly uh, you're limiting your life to your limitations, and, and not limiting your life to God's limitations. Of course, God's, God's limitations are unlimitless, right? And so if God is asking you to do something, however crazy and wonderful it may sound to you, you will be able to do that because God has asked you to do it. Our problem is not successfully doing what God has asked us to do. Our problem is committing to things that God did not ask us to do. That's our problem. Our job as followers of Christ is to find out only what God is asking us to do, not what everyone else is asking us to do. So this calls for you to walk closely with the Lord and hear his voice and only do what God asks you to do, no more, no less. Hear from God. And then your commitment is realistic. Even though it may seem overwhelming, it's possible in God if God asks you to do it. God is saying, let your yes be yes in the context of his ability and his will. Count the cost. Think through this. Luke 14, Luke 14, verse 25 says this. 
in verse 27, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin, in other words, don't begin your journey of following Jesus Christ until you count the cost. For who would begin a construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, this, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Count the cost. Jesus is inviting us to a very practical understanding of assessing your life and expecting you to understand your limitations, to understand God's will in your life, and then make decisions accordingly. We can only make decisions for what we have control over. I can't make a decision for Rico, for example. I can't set goals for Rico because I have no control over Rico. Now, we might be in some kind of a, you know, leadership in the church relationship where I do have some authority maybe, but even with that authority, I can't force him to do anything. As a matter of fact, you as parents working with your children, you have authority over your children, but ultimately they decide whether or not they're going to obey you or not. And they have to take responsibility for their decisions. So when they disobey you, it truly is their fault and their responsibility. And they should be held responsible for it. If you can learn early in life that you do have a level of control, especially in the area that God is asking you to do, I can do this because God has asked me to do it. And I need to learn to say yes to that and no to the things that are not from him and set my life up that way. There are times when you'll be saying no to somebody and it might hurt their feelings. But if you're, if you're trying to please them over God, you might say yes and not be able to finish it. Have you been there before? Sure, I'll do this for you. And then when it comes time to do that for them, you're finding yourself that you just can't do it. Do you do it anyway? I hope you do. Do what you say. Mean what you say. Say what you mean. I think we live in this, in this world of yes, be yes, and your no, be no, in looking at our own limitations. But I think also, too, this, this huge, huge issue of not understanding God's ability through us according to his will in our lives. Uh, I want to help you with this tip this morning that I hope really helps you. But when it comes to things of God, when it comes to our relationship with Him, we need to always posture ourselves from the perspective of weakness when it comes to God. That will never change. We will always be weak. He will always be strong. I want to show you what Paul did, and this might help you in your life. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. This is Paul, who's suffering from, we still don't know what, a thorn in his flesh. But he said, three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away, whatever this, whatever this pain was in his life. Each time, he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take great pleasure in my weaknesses and in insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
a lot of us, because we don't have a proper perspective of our limitations, we, we feel like at some point, especially if we've been a follower of Christ for a while, that we get to graduate from being weak. Have you ever felt that? You know, when I first came to Christ, uh, <laughs> I was weak. But I've been a follower of Christ now for at least five years. Man, I'm, a strong, I'm strong now. I am strong. No, you are not. This is when pride creeps in, right? And you fall flat on your face and you realize that you're not strong. We will always be weak. He will always be strong. You never graduate from weakness. But hopefully you can graduate into dependence on Christ. We can, our yes can be yes and our no can be no in the center of God's will as we depend on God for everything. Now, I'm 59 years old. I've been a believer since I was seven years old. I've been serving God in churches and ministry for, for many, many years. And I can tell you from experience that if I forget that I'm weak, <laughs> I fall flat on my face. I'm not going to share with you all the stories of those times when I blew it. But man, there's been some embarrassing moments in my life. Standing up, thinking that I got this. And God was nowhere in anything I said and anything I did. And I fell flat on my face. Embarrassment to myself and an embarrassment to God. When I am weak, he is strong. So as you're thinking about how to order your life, you need to understand, you need to approach this from the perspective of you're weak, but he is strong. And learn to abide in him. Learn to come to him for sustenance and for direction because it's only through him that you can actually accomplish any of the goals that he's asked you to accomplish. And by the way, God holds us responsible for our actions one way or another because he gives us the power to accomplish everything he's asked us to do. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You, you only have control over your actions and your thoughts in, this, in the center of God's will. And no one else has control over that in your life. So the teaching of Scripture is, don't make promises connected to things you have no control over. Only make commitments based on what God is asking you to do. Be reliable. And make sure people can count on you. So count the costs. Look at your life. Examine yourself to figure out, what are my limitations? What are God's limitations? What is God asking me to do? And then say yes or no based on that. And get into this habit of yes after you've counted the cost. Yes Seeking God's face. If someone asks you to do something, be honest and say, you know, I need some time to think about that. Instead of, yeah, I promise I'll do it because I love you. No, 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 time out. Let me think about this <laughs> and let before I say yes or no. Because I need to really know this is from the Lord. One of the reasons why this topic is so important. It, it really is hugely important. I, I, wanna, I don't want to underestimate the significance of this topic. This is massive in our lives as followers of Christ. Uh, our, uh, our ability to, to do what we say and say what we mean is huge in the context of our families, in this world, but it's also massive in terms of how the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the advancement of God's kingdom will happen in our society. Now, we pray prayers. Lord, make our church grow. Bring revival to this land. Those are all fantastic prayers. Lord, draw someone to yourself. But we mustn't, un, we mustn't miss the point of God's command to us, go make disciples. 
God's expectation, his, his plan is yes that we pray. But his plan is also that we go. And he's counting us. Jesus is looking at us and saying, can I count on you to be the one who actually shares the gospel? Can I count on you? In terms of the gospel and kingdom advance, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is given to, it's handed to, very preciously, it's given to people who are faithful, who can be counted on. The gospel only advances through people who are reliable and who are faithful to the task. The gospel does not advance through people who don't do what they say. 2 Timothy 2. Paul, admonishing his disciple, he says this, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You've heard me teach things that that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ. Entrust the gospel to people who will be faithful. Entrust the gospel to faithful people who will be faithful to keep passing on the good news. The fact of the matter is, is that faithfulness is a significant key to the mechanism of God's church growing, to people coming to faith, that the good news actually moves. It's entrusted to reliable people. So we need to look at ourselves as followers of Christ. Are we reliable? Do people expect you to be late all the time? You show up late for every meeting? What's your character? Who are you? Can people count on you? One reason why the gospel is not moving as fast as we would like it to is because people claim the gospel but are not faithful. And so the gospel is not moving. God has commanded us to make disciples of all nations. If we are not doing that, we're not being faithful to his commands. The expectation is, is that the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation through Christ alone, the hope for all mankind is entrusted to us to be the voice, to be the ambassadors, and God is expecting us to be faithful. The gospel will not advance. The good news of Christ will not keep moving unless faithful followers of Christ carry it and speak it and live it. We need to ex seriously examine ourselves. If we look at ourselves, be honest. Let's look at ourselves. Does my family count on me? Can they count on me? At work, am I a faithful worker? Am I known for my word as my bond? If I'm given a task, can people be sure it's going to happen? It'll be done. I really believe that the secret, the key for the gospel advancing in, our, in this city, in this nation, in this world, it's going to be done through people who are faithful, who can be counted on, trustworthy, honest people. God invites us to be these kinds of people. And he's saying here in this teaching, Matthew 5, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Evaluate yourself. Don't make commitments and promises that are not in the context of his will or outside of your control. 
Seriously, abide in Christ and find out His will for your life. And then say yes to that and only that. God's will for all of us as far as of Christ is that we would make disciples. That is in His commandment. That's just that's a foundational command for every believer that we make disciples. Can God count, us, count on us to do that faithfully? We need to really look at ourselves. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. When you look at societies of the world, uh, I know we all know these, these uh, characterizations of different cultures around the world, but when you think of Germans, what do you think of? Reliability, right? Efficiency. That's a really bad German accent. <laughs> right? Until Volkswagen lied to us about the diesel you know, engines in their cars. Remember, remember that story, right? But how quickly the world has forgotten that. We still believe the Germans are efficient, right? The French, what are they known for? Croissants, yeah. <laughs> Patisserie, yeah. I grew up, et ben dis How about the Italians? Pasta, pizza, yeah, yeah. How, how about Americans? Yeah, I can. As an American, let me speak for all of us. Uh, we, we are we are very much into ourselves, and uh, we love things, and we love money. Uh, we're 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 very much about ourselves. When I when I say the collective term Africans, what's your first thought? What are they known for? Ubuntu. Yeah, which is what, the family, right? Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> no. There's something that I've said, I'm not sure it's true, but uh, I heard this from an African uh, from South Africa who told me this. He said, you know what, Africans have time, but you, you Americans have watches. Yeah. And he was telling me this because he was late to a coffee meeting. I'm joking. No. no. <laughs> but we can, we can go across different societies uh, here on earth, and you can see that they're known for specific things, right? Different cultures are known for, for either reliability or corruption or efficiency or for love of money, love of self. We have all these different uh, types of cultures. I, I submit to you this morning that uh, different cultures are known for some of their collective sin. All right? There are certain societies that are known for certain sin. Now, if you think about, if I say the, if I say the name Th uh, Thailand to you, what collective sin do you think they're known for? Yes, trafficking, yeah, uh, sex industry, right? That's what they're kind of known for. Wow, what a horrible thing to be known for, right? I've been to Thailand twice um, for meetings with the company that I work for, and uh, I was amazed and blown away by how faithful, hardworking they are, the, most of the Thai people, and how friendly and kind they are. Very, very welcoming and sweet and kind and uh, hard, hardworking. That's interesting. When, when our company starts churches in, in those parts of the world, um, people are never late to church, and people come. Everyone's always on time. They start church on time. 
They're hard workers. They work hard in the church. They do everything well in the church. You know what they deal with, though? They deal with sexual sin all the time. So in terms of their church and their struggle is that they deal with the issue of sexual sin on a regular basis in the community of, of their churches. That's what they struggle with. American churches love money, love self. Man, all of a sudden, you know, the, the pastor and leaders are just all about themselves. They're painting their picture all over the world. Uh, and so all of a sudden, the church becomes about one individual instead of Jesus Christ. And they can grow these huge empires, these big, big, big buildings. We see this all over the United States. Massive churches, big buildings. Highlighting one superstar, right? Who's the lead pastor of the church. I'm not saying that's horrible. I'm just saying that's typically what we see. So what they deal with is, is love of self in a way that's extraordinary. Or amassing as much wealth as, as possible. That's, that's what they deal with. Now, if I look at the context of Namibia and our churches here, one of the collective sins that I see uh, very often uh, here and other places is just uh, this belief that somehow um, you can't. Somehow we can't actually be what we want to be. You, you feel uh, disempowered. At least that's my perspective from the outside coming in. I meet a lot of Namibians who don't feel like they have any authority, any power, any ability to lead. Now, this is not true for every Namibian, of course. But we see this a lot where just people feel like they can't be the person that God is asking them to be. And so they're not very faithful. That's not everyone, but that's often. So, so very often in our churches here, we deal with this lack of faithfulness, this lack of consistent follow-through with decisions that we make because we feel like we're, we're victims, we're powerless, that we can't. And I say we, I feel like I'm part of Namibia. Maybe that's an area of our church, maybe that's an area of the church that's in Namibia that needs to be addressed, is to know that in Christ you can do all things. I believe societies have these collective sins that are known for it. However, one of the good things about this nation, I absolutely love, is that you have time. Love to have coffee. This is the the coffee nation, right, of sitting down and just enjoying being together. How wonderful is that for the church? That, that's, that's what the church is all about. It is about family. It's about coming together and being whole and family and hanging out, loving each other, taking care of each other, loving each other. Maybe the area that we need to work on more in this nation is just our own faithfulness to the task. I believe that the gospel will advance through faithful followers of Christ. And I just want to say to you, without hurting anyone's feelings this morning, and, and not, I don't want to label everyone in this nation, I'm not doing that. Uh, because I live here, this is, this is, I consider this to be my place, my home. But in my own life, in your life, our life, potentially the area we need to work on the most is our yes being yes and our no being no understanding that when God calls you to do something, God will empower you, give you everything you need to fulfill it. We need to stop seeing ourselves as limited and unable to do anything significant. God has empowered us to also be part of his commission of making disciples of all nations. And I believe New Song Family Church is invited to this task.
to truly be the ones who actively share their faith and make disciples of their family, their friends, their neighbors. I believe God is inviting New Song Family Church to be that. And I think we need to learn how to say yes and mean it and how to say no and mean it in the context of God's will for our life. Let's say yes for the things we have control over. Let's say no for the things we have control over and take responsibility for our behavior. And let's grab the gospel wholeheartedly, completely, embrace it completely, and run with it and make disciples of nations. That is God's commission for us. Oh, Lord, make our yes be yes, our no be no. And God, help us to see what you've asked us to do. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this moment. Lord Jesus, we know you're only asking us to do what you've empowered us to do. And so, Lord, we say yes. Lord, yes to your will. Because, Father, we know we can do that in your power, in your leadership. Father, this morning we come to you, New Song Family Church, and we say we are weak. And, Lord, you are strong. And so, Father, we celebrate our weakness and we celebrate your strength this morning. Lord Jesus, we ask God that you would continue to fill us with your strength and your empowering to, to, to have wisdom to know exactly what you want us to do. Nothing more and nothing less. It's in your name I pray. Amen. This is Rico Vecca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.